Beyond Infinity. Well, good morning to Brad McKenzie. He's kindly joined me for a, a bit of a follow-up chat, a subject that we touched on last time we spoke, which is the intersection of sport and politics. And pretty, pretty good time to talk about it, Brad, given what's going on with the Paris Olympics and the possible boycott of Russia or the suggestion by, uh, I think there's about 30 countries that have uh, penned a document saying that, that they don't think this National Olympic Committee should allow Russia to compete because of what it's doing in Ukraine and yes. the war which has just passed the one year mark and, and you know showing no signs of ending. And I think back in 1980 when the Moscow Games were on, there was a boycott uh, because of what Russia was doing in Afghanistan. It's That's all right. interesting because, yeah. you know, if you highlighted that against with the Russians, they'd say, well, okay, well, wasn't it terrible that we were in Afghanistan? And, uh, and But then what happened just after we left? Well, you know, 10 years later, thereabouts, after 9-11, the Americans were in there. And look what, look what happened with them. And, and then they were also <laughs> in Iraq. You, you don't hear it that often, I suppose, because we've got a fairly um, solid pro-Ukraine sort of Western bias in our media, if you like. Australia certainly, but that's one of the arguments that the, the, the Russians use to support what they're doing. Is they say, well, you know, America is just being a complete hypocrite because they've done spent twenty years doing the same sort of thing. They're you know they're telling us we're doing such a bad thing. And then uh, of course the the Russians then boycotted nineteen eighty four right in Los Angeles. Yes, and the theory death. is that you actually damage the Olympic Game. and splinter the Olympic movement because there'd be other countries that would side with Russia. Um, well, you know, the fact Belarus would you could guarantee that, yeah. and then the question would I guess would surround you know China would be a big question. Um, but realistically, if you if you look back to the argument that we've got now that if we don't let them in, it splinters the Olympic movement. Well, mm -hmm. in nineteen eighty, they Russian uh, America didn't go to Russia. In eighty four, Russia didn't go to America. But all the other Olympics after that have been quite successful. Mm -hmm. So it obviously hasn't splintered. So. Whether sport can well, whether sport can stop a war mm. is, uh, I think, the writings on the wall that it, it doesn't. That yes. it hasn't. Just as an interesting side aside to that, in 1984, uh, the McDonald's Corporation had this fantastic idea that uh, if America wins, you win, and so they had this great promotion going that. You'd buy something from McDonald's, you'd get a scratch it. You scratched it off, and whatever event that was, if America won, if they got gold, you'd get a Big Mac. If they got silver, you'd get fries. And if they got bronze, you'd get a, um, a frozen drink. Right. Well, what they hadn't factored in was that the USSR, or Russia at the time, was their biggest competitor. And so when they dropped out of the games, the Americans did a whitewash and McDonald's lost an absolute fortune. Right. <laughs> so you fast forward a couple of years after that, uh, The Simpsons had an episode where Krusty, Krusty, the Krusty the Clown with his Krusty Burgers did the same thing and they hadn't realised that, that uh, the Soviets had pulled out. So somebody did suffer for mm -hmm. that, but yeah. as far as the sport, I, I don't know whether it did as much as yeah, you know, I think we that, like I think to think. That, I think you've got a point there. I think that so so really in practice, this is sort of a um, a little bit of a saber rattle for yeah, saber rattle or, or a kind of furphy because it actually you know if you look at history and look at similar situations in the past, it hasn't made any difference. But I guess 
it's, it's not just about the survival of the Olympic movement or ending a war, but it's more, I suppose it's a bit of an argument about principle. If, we, if we're saying this country, it, Russia, is, is, is morally wrong for doing what it's doing, yes. then why should we allow them to come along to, to Paris, of all places, you know, kind of centre of Western culture, if you like, in, yeah. in Europe, and compete just as any other country does in this big international celebration of sport? You but know, then why, why stop them doing that when, you know, I mean, they're at the Australian Open? Yes. But, under a neutral yes. flag, but it's still... Realistically, everybody knows yeah. what country they're from. But, but maybe that's a. I mean, the Australian the case of the Australian Open. You're not really where you come from is incidental. You're just an international citizen playing competitively in an open uh, tennis tournament. Well, for for big prize money. Well, because yes, in the you, games you're not. You're playing for national prestige. But if we go down a little sidetrack there, then why is people like Kyrgios and Tomic and people like that? belted by Australia because you're representing Australia while you're playing tennis and, you know, you're, you're making us look like, you know, you're pulling out of games that makes us look better. Well, you can't it both ways, you know, mm. you can't say, Australian Open people can't say, well, really, it's not, you're not representing your country, you just happen to be from a country and you represent, and then the Australian public are belting these guys because <laughs> you're representing Australia while you're out there. But that's a whole different kettle of fish for another chat. Yeah, well, there's, there's, see, there's different. I mean, there's different. I suppose underlying motives. You know, one is clearly the boycott or, or banning, if you like, of the Olympic Games is much more about politics and the the war that's going on in the background. Mm. Whereas the motivation of you know the the, the, the sort of ire of, of um, people against Kyrgios is more about him. Um, well, his on-court antics, but I mean, that's the thing is that the sponsors love that. Yes. And, and, you know, him pulling out of the Australian Open, I mean, I, for one, was bored by the... I was like, I wasn't even interested. I knew that, that Djokovic was likely to win, and he did. He steamrolled yeah. his way through it after sort of looking like he had a few early injuries. The big draw carpet, which was the fireworks of Kyrgios, and being an Australian, but also the fireworks of Kyrgios. I mean, this is why he's such a, you know, an Indoban sportsman and such a successful sportsman in a way... Uh, not necessarily just in terms of scoreboard, but but in terms of sponsorship and in yes. terms of drawing crowds and, and eyes to TV, is because of that wild side to him, that unpredictability, the off-court entertainment. So if, if you take that a little bit further then, uh, and this is what we touched on last time with Lewis Hamilton mm. doing the Black Lives Matter thing, is it how important is the... Um, is the sports person and their their sort of coverage, I guess, or their appeal when they're making these protests? Like, is it just a nonsense if somebody who's not particularly well known in the sport was the first one to to kneel at the Grand Prix? Would people just go, well, I don't understand why he's doing that. But when it's somebody like Hamilton, Mm. is it... um, it's him using his profile. Profile, yeah. yeah. Mm. And and should he be criticised for that, which was what we were talking about yeah. before. Yeah. Um, but sport, sport is... The whole thing about sport is it's is it's designed, I get, or not designed, but it's there to, to unify and unite. Mm. You know, like, like you go to a, a VFL or AFL game here with 100,000 people 
and there's never violence in the crowd and there's people from Team A standing next door to Team B and there's light banter and so it really unites, whereas politics... That's in Australia, it's not... In the no, that's there. right. Not like the, with uh, soccer in Europe. In Europe, but, but even then, soccer still unites, you know, if you're a Manchester supporter, regardless of whether you're broke or a billionaire, you're still mm. united by your love mm. for that mm. team and mm. that sport. Mm. Whereas um, politics is always going to be divisive, isn't mm. it? Mm. You know, there's, there's just not... So, so it sounds like you're coming out on the side that, that um, sports should be set, seen separately and, and, and sort of the, the beauty or the benefit for people, for the world, for humanity, is that sport carries on and if there's a chance of getting over, perhaps getting over the sort of tensions and divisions that lead to war and lead to these sort of deep political schisms, that having games, having Olympic games where you've got actually got Russians, maybe they're under a Russian flag and maybe they're under a white flag. Maybe that's a compromise. Yeah. Because the other thing is that I don't think, in a way, punishing individual athletes for, for the decisions of their leaders is kind of a stretch. You know, they're not the ones who, the people in the Russian rowing team are not the ones who decided to go invade Ukraine. Yeah. So yeah. maybe there's an argument that, that by allowing the world to get together in a, in, a, in a sort of a neutral capacity playing sport where instead of competing on the battlefield with weapons, you're competing with just your natural skills or what you've been, what you've learned to do. And it's not for money, it's for, it is for, it is for national prestige. At least there's a, there is a, there is some hope that those athletes in the Olympic village from Russia and from America or from Ukraine and Russia or from wherever might actually sit down and have a chat and, and actually mend some fences, build some bridges well, between I, themselves anyway. I think they probably will, but I think the reality is if in a democracy, that we can use our individual strengths in Australia to bring pressure to bear on the government. Now, if that's um, through sport, then... Because, let's face it, the government use sport to their advantage all the time. Like, how many times do you see a photo... You know, there's the, the Prime Minister's 11, mm. uh, you know, playing... There, there's always a photo of somebody, uh, of a politician bowling a ball or serving a sandwich at a, or a sausage at a, mm. a football game or watching the cricket. They're all aligned to, I think Albanese is with um, the Rabbitohs. They're all aligned to some sort of sport. Yeah. So I think as a democracy, we could perhaps bring pressure to bear through sport on our politicians to achieve something. Yeah. Because I don't think the Russian... it's public profile. Yes. Because it gets in the media. Yeah, but I, I think the people of Russia... You know, like if you, if you you're freezing to death, and you write to your local minister and say, "Hey, I'm freezing to it's death." A yeah, pretty much. So, you know, whether the the fact that the sports banned or not for the majority of the people in the street, they're not going to. They've got so many other things to worry about, and they also know it's not going to get them anywhere if they complain to their to their government that well, because of what you've done in Ukraine. We're not sending our soccer team to to compete in the Olympics. So if you pull back in Ukraine, they'll be able to get, the Russian government wouldn't, no. wouldn't give no, a toss. So, mm. so I feel for the athletes that are caught in that because they're they've got no power. They really have no power. And and for a long time, the people that have been athletes in Russia have been sponsored by the, in inverted commas by the government. Yeah. Anyway, 
So sponsored by the um, the sort of illicit pharmaceutical companies making yeah, our that's it. So and, so I feel for I do feel for the athletes a bit, but don't forget in 1980 when Australia went to Russia, mm. we had defiance. I think that's right. We had yeah. young athletes coming back here, mm. and they were you know ostracised and mm. and and that sort of thing. And, it, and interesting, I think we both read the same article. The current head of the IOC, I think, was a, a German fencer, perhaps, mm-hmm. and he, because of the tensions in 1980 over, you know, the split Germany, East and West Germany, the West Germany boycotted Moscow, and so he missed out on competing, and, and apparently would have done very well if he had. So he, yeah. in particular, just on a personal level, he would feel, you know, he's felt a sense of loss mm. because of this politics encroaching into sport. Yeah. And... I mean, I suppose the Olympics really is the big one because, in a way, strangely enough, you know, we were happy that... I mean, I was actually... In a way, I was surprised to see Russians playing in t- tennis in, in Australia. But, but it's also like, like you were saying, if you, if, you take away, if you take away key players, then you reduce the popularity of the event. And so then your sponsors don't support you. Then there's mm. a whole sort of financial problem that, that arises. Yeah. So, but whereas, and so that's the distinction between professional sport and the Olympic Games, because even though professional sports people compete in the Olympic Games, uh, and they, they, all the top sportsmen would be pros, I imagine, competing for, if you're the best, yeah. you're yeah. the best tennis player, best golfer, or whatever the sport is, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of new sports that are, that are starting up in. Yeah, I don't think Hussein Bolt was going broke. No, you know, while no. he was running in the Olympics. So they allowed, but, but they used to not. When when Rod Laver was winning a, a Grand Slam, for example, yeah. he wasn't getting anything like the prize money no. because it was a because it was a, it had it was pre open era. So to play in tournaments, I think you had to be an amateur. You, if you if, you, if yes. you made too much money, you were excluded from. Which which goes back to that argument with the Russian Olympics. Whereas Australians, Americans, you know, all the, in inverted commas, the free world, all those athletes that were going over there were doing it under their own steam. They had jobs and were running and they had jobs and were fencing and jobs and were throwing the javelin. Whereas your Russian athletes were all in the army. Mm. So they were all getting, might not have been much, but at least they, and you know, I'm not saying it was, it was an idyllic lifestyle either, but they were... Almost professional athletes. Yeah. Well, because the, the state considered it was all about national prestige. I mean, yeah. we're the same, and we might not have funded it or sort of done it in the way the Russians did, but, but you know, the Australian Institute of Sport and sports scholarships and all these sort of things that the, that the state or that the government actually does to, to spend money on, on, on developing, you know, top athletes. Yeah. Um, well, that, interestingly about that, didn't they all that, most of that come out after the games in England when we did so appallingly that they all of a sudden they went hey hang on we've got to get a structure in place yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So and now the AIS I think is one of the best places in the world I and mean, it's a very you know very very sought after place if you want to be a professional top of the, the world then yeah. that would be one of the best places you could possibly go to and very very hard to get selected to go there and know? then and this is probably a chat for another time is now they work out how much Per head, it costs to get a gold medal, and we find that we're perhaps not one of the most. Um, uh, it's not necessarily that productive, so you know that's a whole other argument for another day too. Mm. Is the amount we're spending for what is essentially a four-year program? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, Exa- well, exactly. So if you boycott yeah. it, then what about all that money you've spent? spent you know, yeah. at the AIS trying to you know get your athletes to peak at the right time for the games and. But but when you think back, I mean, really, politics and sport. You know, people talk now right now about Rashid Khan, who's the Afghani cricketer, who's thinking he may not play uh, Big Bash next year because Australia has decided to boycott you know, the one-day internationals and, and the, it, because of Afghanistan's and the Taliban and right. the fact that the women can't play. Right. So he's decided to take a stand. And I don't know if that'll happen because the big bash isn't until, uh, until next year. But, like, politics and sports have been going on since, you know, Jesse Owen ran past Adolf Hitler in 1936. And then we had in the 60s... really had a hissy fit. Yeah, yeah. and then in 68... We had the two American athletes who did the Black Power salute and the Australian Peter Norman, who was standing on the dais with them. He didn't do the salute, but he, he did have a badge on supporting them. Mm-hmm. And Tommy Smith, and I can't think of the other guy's name at the moment. But Peter Norman came back to Australia. He could have qualified for the 72 Olympics and he wasn't picked on the team. Right, so he was punished. He was punished. And it wasn't until... After his death, which coincidentally the two guys that stood on the dais with him came out to be pallbearers for, it was only then that the AOC said that really he was very brave in what he did. And and there is a movie that his um, nephew I think made, which is uh, which is well worth a look at. So if you if you look up um, Norman's thing, you'll, you'll find that movie. But so he was punished, you know, back in the seventies, mm. like. So politics was in sport then, and he was just standing on the dais. Mm. I don't know what he just wearing a badge, which was, you know, a, a, a quite a insignificant thing. It wasn't like he raised his hand mm. or did anything like that, and tarred with the same brush and, and, and ostracised. So it's been, you know, it's been going for forever and a day, and I, yeah. I really don't know whether what he did, the fact that it was fifty years on. That he was recognised for that says, does. That's a green light? Yeah, well, yeah, or do we really. Or has uh, anything really changed? Has anything, yes, exactly, has anything really changed? You know, has it, has it, why did it take 50 years for um, Peter Norman to be acknowledged for what he did? And maybe it's really just an acknowledgement of, of his, that, that individual situation rather than necessarily a green light to our current athletes to do similar. Yeah, so so you know, I, so there's kind of so that, so it works both ways. There's pressure to keep keep politics out of sports from within sport. Yes, and then there's also conversely, there's pressure from from politics to actually influence sport. And, and that's when you get, as an administrator of sport, a high up administrator. You know, they they're torn between the devil and the deep blue sea because if you squash your sports people from saying something, mm. you're a bit of a dictatorship. Mm. But if you let them go, it can do untold damage to your to your brand and your sport as well. Mm. And whether it weakens over time, you know, I, with Lewis Hamilton and a few of the other drivers that knelt at the national anthem each time, mm. progressively, as I was watching that, less and less players chose the option to mm. kneel. So does that does that mean to the general public, oh, well, this protest is, is fading away? It's still just as important, 
but the fact that of the 24 drivers, you know, we started with 23 kneeling and we ended up with 10, mm. is the whole argument being weakened or, or drivers thinking, well, nothing much is happening for this, so I don't need to bother anymore? Mm. Um, so it's a See, double-edged it's sword. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about the intersection between politics and sport. Brad McKenzie, Piers Cunningham. If you did nothing at the Paris Games and you said, okay, we want every single country to compete, we actually want the world to get together, young people from mm. around the world to get together, and that that might actually mend some, mend some fences, um, it, just that process of, of, of people who are outside, separate to politics, being able to talk about, even talk about privately, talk about politics. And if you had that situation, then you'll, you'll have in Paris, you'll have protesters anyway. Very likely, sadly, it would look like the war, war will still be going then. I'm not showing any signs of stopping in Ukraine. So you'd have protesters who will, who will draw attention, who will you know, perhaps um, you know, be there with placards and things, and may, may well be allowed to be, mm. you know, whereas you know, in some situations they might have, mightn't have been. But if, if the West wants to kind of make an issue, because it is about, it's, trying to, it's really trying to embarrass and highlight what, Russia is doing in Ukraine. Well, that's where, the, that's where the tennis centre, the, the Australian Open fell over a little bit too, because... Yeah, so, that, that was interesting, wasn't it? You know, let, T-shirts you're allowed to wear, mm. but banners you weren't allowed to yeah. hold. Well, that's a bit oppressive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. We'll come to that, because I think that was a really a very interesting situation. It was Djokovic's father you're talking about, yeah. um, the Australian Open. One way of looking at this would be keep sport out of, theoretically keep sport out of politics, let the games happen as, as they would normally, and then if you want to embarrass Russia, then you know, have protesters, there would be protesters who would, would turn up at events and have signs or you know, placards and whatever, mm. which would get onto the news anyway. So there's, there's that possibility. Then the other option, which is kind of a halfway house, is to have them compete under a, under a neutral flag. So it's sort of saying the individual we're not penalising, they, they can compete in the sport and they can win a medal, but the medal tally won't go to Russia, it'll just go to individuals. So it will skew, it will skew, will skew the, yeah. you know, it'll be the same situation you said applied in, in the, you know, with, the, with the burgers from McDonald's having to hand out heaps because yeah. suddenly you've, you've taken a major sporting power out of, out of the Olympic Games in yeah. terms of the medal tally. So that, maybe that's a compromise and there may be problems with that. And then the other thing which I thought was interesting is that if Zelensky, Zelensky's apparently threatened, to, he's said to the IOC in the past that if Russia is allowed to compete in the Olympic Games, that they will not compete. Yes. They will boycott. And that also is, well, it, it, it wouldn't be as noticeable as Russia being banned, but it would still be quite embarrassing for the IOC. It would be. And because, let's face it, Ukraine aren't, a, a sporting powerhouse no. so really them being there is probably for what the games is about mm. you know or be inclusive be inclusive and mm. and has been for all the years they've been going i've got no idea how well they've done mm. but no, it doesn't really matter yeah. you know they're, they're, it's, it's like little athletics you know get in there and have a go and yeah. well done yeah there's a couple of things there. i don't think he needs to pull out from the games as a protest because russia are there because that's that to me that's almost like Russia of one on a sporting level uh, I don't know I, I, that said I think he's doing an absolutely fantastic job but I I would be concerned 
that it would be then played by the Russians a little bit to say, well, you know, we're here and they're not, you know, that sort of thing. There'd be a little, it could be a little bit, you know, and you could miss out on some great, um, you know, grudge matches if you happen to have a, a, a sporting event where there's a Ukrainian up against the Russian. Oh, well, that's going to make the compulsive well, viewing course, all around the world. Didn't we have the Russia America water polo in '56 in in Melbourne, and it was like they talk about the pool being filled with blood because right. <laughs> you know, it, it was a grudge match and yeah. you know polo's uh, pretty rough as it is but just getting back to what you said about you know the russians competing as individuals mm. I, I still think that gets back a little to what i was saying before about a russian athlete is effectively sponsored by the government mm. you know there's not too many russian athletes there's come that play some that play tennis who are, you know, individuals that probably live away from oh. Russia, but they're still getting they're getting their money from sponsorship and, and winning. And so you wouldn't like have that. a full complement of team. You wouldn't well, have, well, you wouldn't enough, have enough, well, enough athletes. To, well, to, to they, I don't know that they'd be independent of the country. You know, for no. them to say, well, I, I'm I'm not under the Russian flag, but I'm still getting paid by the Russian government. Mm. I own my training and everything. Yeah, that they, like, that's it. To the he, Russian government. To the because, government. Because I suppose that the, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point you're making that, the, that, that Russia doesn't... No, no country has a full Olympic team that consists of, of um, professional sports people at the top of their game or close to the top of their game. No, that's you know, right. They just don't. It's too, it's too diverse a uh, sports meeting. Yeah. Uh, there's too many, you know, there's a whole lot of um, events which are, are new. There's things like rock climbing, there's, you know, there's, there's surfing, there's skateboarding. There's a whole lot of things which, you know, previously are being trialed or now actually have already been trialed mm. and now becoming proper events, which is great. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's recognising those new sports. But it's, it's unlikely that you'd have a Russian team that, that would sort of make sense, if you like, to, to compete in all those events. So you potentially you just have a few... If they're all under a white flag or a neutral flag, uh, then you would just have you'd have an underrepresented. You wouldn't have a full mm. complement of, of team members, yeah. basically. Quite likely, given what you've said about you know those most of the team owing their their um, involvement to the Russian government or to the Russian state, Russia may well just say, "Well, sorry, you know, we're not going to compete. If it's not under our flag, then why would we would we, we, why would we compete?" Yeah. Because the bulk of our athletes are actually kind of state-sponsored athletes. Yeah. See, I, I have no, and, and this is just a personal thing, I have no drama with people. I'd be disappointed if Australia didn't didn't go for, for you know, like in 1980 because we've had athletes that have, have pushed and, and trained and, and, and done all that sort of thing a lot of times off their own bat mm. to, to get that done. Fast forward to now, I wouldn't be disappointed if the Russians were banned mm. because to me their their athletes aren't, aren't like Sally Pearson and, and people like that that are you know, that have done the hard yards a lot themselves to get to where they've mm. they've got to mm. as opposed to being part of a a, a government regime. You know, so uh, it's, it do you feel be, less sorry for the athletes yes, missing out? Yes, I do. Because I, well, and it's their job mm. almost. Mm. Whereas uh, uh, it's it's a very fine line, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd feel sorry for you know if Fiji were 
we're told, well, you can't go because we're boycotting, mm. or you know, because all those because there's less less support from the state. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure that Russian athletes do sacrifice things. You know, they do give up things to. Well, I'm sure they do, to, but to, then and, but and maybe I, not to the same extent. But we've not. I've not lived in Russia, so I don't know how bad it is. But mm. the old stories of. Nadia Comaneci and people like that, she was Russian, but, mm. you know, the brutality they had to go through to achieve what they achieved. Yeah, yeah. And so many of them went up in America. I mean, look at Ivan Lendl. He was, yeah. he was a top tennis player before the Iron Curtain came down for Czechoslovakia. And, you know, there were all these instances of people, you know, they weren't allowed to collect prize money and had to go yeah, to state. state. You know, exactly. you, you, just, you just didn't have freedom to, uh, yeah. I don't know how it works in Russia now. You know, if you, get, if you win multiple gold medals, I mean, that... I don't, I don't think that, well, I think if you're a, I think a lot of their, say, top tennis players, current example, um, they are domiciled in Monaco or whatever. Yes, you know, yes. They're all, you know, they're all kind of, they still call themselves Russian and they've got a Russian passport or whatever, but they've, they're, they're not necessarily living in Russia and haven't no. been for a long time because like, partly probably to just to protect their money that they're earning. Yeah, yeah. But just going back to that one, which was... Just for listeners, because it was interesting, you mentioned that the instance of Djokovic's father, I think it was around the time of the semi-finals, or close to the yes. semi-finals of the Australian Open 23, and he happened to, he was kind of, I think he was sort of set up in a way. Was yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was, yeah. And, and he stopped and, and allowed his photo to be taken with, with some Russians who were kind of breaking the rules because they said there was not supposed to be, and again, this is the intersection of sport and politics, I don't think you're supposed to have any kind of political slogan from about anything That's right. inside yeah. the, the confines of the Australian yeah. Open. And they've wrapped this thing up, brought it in without permission, and unfurled it in the background and snapped this photo, and then that's gone viral on social media. And it sort of implicated... Djokovic's family and Serbia is is one of those sort of ambivalent countries about mm. Russia. They were part of the you know part of the former Greater Soviet Union setup, and there is pockets of support for for what Russia's doing. But he was ambushed and it, and it put him in a difficult position. And he and, and you know it was like oh so suddenly you're a supporter of the the war in Ukraine. You're on the side of Russia, and they had to kind of quite carefully say, no, we're actually neutral. And they didn't say we're, we're not, we're against it, but they just said we're neutral. We, we, we sympathise with, you know, the loss of life and we think that all war is bad. Mm. So they were very carefully neutral. And then, and I think his father didn't attend the semi-final because he didn't want to throw his son off. He didn't want to sort of interfere with the outcome of, of, his, of his son competing. And, um, and I'm not sure whether he was there for the final or not, but that was a, a very... Um, you know, poignant example of, of um, politics interfering in sport directly. So then you've got the, the other argument there too. Well, have the, uh, the Australian Open got the right to ban people from a peaceful protest? Of, uh, tennis is really hard anyway because if, if somebody burps, you know, the whole game stops for a minute. So it, it's, it's not somewhere that you can noisily protest anyway. But... Mm. Carrying a flag or something like that. What, Wearing a t-shirt. Have we got the right? Is that what we're trying to outline with well, all so these we're, other countries? We're sanitising it to the point because we're so so fearful of of, um, of potentially violent clashes between supporters or people, yeah. you know, different different ethnic groups or whatever, different viewpoints represented, and them getting a little bit, um, you know, things getting heated. So 
the response from from organisers is just, just to, we've sanitised the whole thing. So yeah. no, no one's allowed to get political about anything at anything all. Anything at all. You're not even allowed to say you know you don't want to club seals down in Antarctica. You know, yeah. that's, even that's off the agenda. And and I mean that it's kind of a sad reflection of of the sort of simmering tensions that we live with. You know that that exist. You know, on the other hand, is that just letting sport stand by itself? Mm. Uh, well, it's an attempt to. It's it, it is that, and. and I suppose it goes back, I mean, maybe it's a very simplistic way of looking at things, but I've always thought that, you know, Australia in particular, because if you like Australia, one of the big things that Australia, it's not a military power, really. I mean, no. it, is, it, it is sort of in our kind of local area compared with, you know, the small powers around us, but not on a world scale. And the thing that we have done to, to be a leader on the world scale is sport. You know, so we've we have got you know that we have had over the years we've had top sportsmen, whether it's golf, uh, whether it's uh, tennis, whether it's cricket. You know, we export our footballers, whether it's uh, the American code or the Formula European, One, you know, European code, Formula One. I mean, yachting, the list, you know? exactly. I mean, the list is, is 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 it covers every kind of sport that's played, and and that's one of the things that you know Australians are very proud of, and and I guess. Politically, it's encouraged through things like the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra because it's a way of, it's, it's soft diplomacy, if you like. And that's where, I suppose, you know, you want your, you want your athletes who are, who are at the top of their, their sports to behave well because they're kind of seen as ambassadors for Australia, yeah. you know. So, if you like, Australia has punched beyond its weight through the success of its sports people and the recognition they've, they've, they've got around the world. But uh, it's, a, it's an ever-changing thing too. Like in, in 1994, Cathy Freeman won a Commonwealth medal and she draped herself in the Aboriginal flag mm. and was you know, accused of bringing politics into sport mm. and, and how bad he shouldn't have done that. That mm. was thing. Mm. Fast forward six years later to the Olympics... She wins gold. She runs around with the Aboriginal flag, and it's it's seen as fabulous and inclusive, and what a great idea and off, you know. Mm. So in the space of six years, so evolved, with, yeah. with different, yeah. so it's evolved. So, mm. I mean, the crux of what we're talking about is is really have the individuals involved in sport got um, got the right in inverted commas to to push political barrows and, and I think that they probably have mm. they you know they, well they, it's a bit like saying that how can you stop them mm. you know like that's what they do for a living and the mm. fact that it's it's broadcast all around the world mm. gives them the power to well, it, to do that it's them it's like if there's an important issue that they something they believe in and if they've got the means to get that out there because of the high profile they have through sport then you could sort of argue that they have a moral obligation to do that, you know, like Lewis Hamilton. Where it gets grey is just because Lewis Hamilton is pushing Agenda A, if there's so many other people, you know, and there'd be people on his side for that, if there's so many other people that are, are against it, you know, like nobody's going to have the same view. Mm. So if... It's important for him, for Black Lives Matter, for him to kneel when the thing's on. It's, it's great, and, and you know, probably 50% of the world were behind him for it. But there's also a great percentage that 
that weren't, you know, and that's that's what can damage the sports brand, I suppose. Yeah, and then you wind up getting divisions within the crowd because there's some people in the crowd who think that that's great that he said that, and then there's also a faction that think it's not great. Yeah, and they're then taking out their dispute potentially at the sporting event, you know, or, or after the sporting. But event. are any of us strong enough to go? Well, that's it. You know, I don't agree with what Lewis Hamilton did, so I'm not going to the Melbourne Grand Prix. No I, don't, no, I don't think there is. So does it achieve anything? Well, but then it, it also is quite subjective, isn't it? Because you, you're sort of judging each act individually. You know, you mentioned Lewis Howes and Black Lives Matter. You mentioned Catherine Freeman with the Aboriginal flag. And depending on where you sit on those issues, you're either for or against. Yes. I mean, it's, a bit, it's the same with Ukraine and, and, uh, and Russia and the Olympic Games in, in Paris. You know, that if, you're, if you're from, you know, one of the countries in the world that, that actually supports Russia or for whatever reason that that's the case, then then you think it's okay, you know? So it's, it's, there's quite a lot of subject, subjectivity to mm. this, you know, at the end of the day. And, and, that's, and this comes back to what you said originally, that politics is divisive and there are differences. Uh, and there always will be. There always yeah. have been and there always will be. And that's, that's, in the case of a democracy, you know, the way we deal with that in a democracy, the theory is that you, you allow those things to be expressed freely, you have a debate, and then you have a vote, and, mm. and, and, it's, and it's done on, on the majority of the vote, basically. So Brad, one issue that comes up is if you single out Russia for a boycott at the Paris Olympic Games, what about other countries that have done, you know, that have had either have very, very bad uh, human rights records? Yep. Or are engaged in wars that are just not as high profile, not as on the scale that Ukraine is, but there's still plenty of them. You can think of Yemen in the Middle East, which is, a, I believe, a proxy war between one side being supported by Saudi Arabia and the other by Iran. What about Iran with its treatment of women? You know, mm. Would you allow them to compete? So, it, well, well, and, and Afghanistan. And Afghanistan with the Taliban taking over, or African despotic countries. Yeah. And, and um, look, China haven't invaded anybody at, the, well, not, not recently, but not yet. Taiwan's, I think... The best thing that happened to Taiwan is that the Russian invasion of the Ukraine didn't go particularly well for Russia. Because mm. no, China think twice. China's gone. Well, actually, if they fight back, we're going to be all over the. You know, so we'll, might we'll just keep threatening. Mm. But what they've done to their own people inside their own borders mm. is horrific. And you know, there's as you said, Syria and, and places like that. And, and let's face it, Australia doesn't have the greatest. Mm. You know, we've uh, we've got a few skeletons yeah, in the have, closet I as well. We have the UN here looking at our detention centres and yeah. we refuse them access. Yeah, and that's so, quite unusual. So, mm. where do you draw the line? Is it just because the Russia-Ukraine thing is so front of mind at the moment mm. that? Um, but there's well, also always the biggest. Yes, yeah. and it's and it's it's got. Um, but is it because it's Russia? You know, what if it was another neighbouring country of the Ukraine, mm. smaller country, mm. um, and I'm not good with geography, so forgive me, but what if they were to do that or mm. or the other way around, Ukraine was to invade a, a neighbouring country, would we still, would we ask for them to be uh, removed for the games? Because if it was a smaller thing and it doesn't affect the gas and it doesn't affect the oil and it doesn't affect supply chain and all that sort of thing, oh, well, we'll, mm. we'll just... just move around it and the answer to that question of why why the attention on russia when there's all these other examples of 
countries that misbehave and are allowed to compete without anyone mentioning. And can we just say here, before we get angry phone calls and texts and, mm. and emails and things, mm. we're not condoning what Russia's doing. Mm. We're just saying that, you know, they're not the only ones that have been a bit naughty. That's right. No, that's right. And, and the, the thing you don't want to have happen is to splinter the Olympic Games. And, and I mean, we have given the example already of, of um, the Moscow Games where... You know, there's a bit of tit for tat going on, but the Olympic Games continued, and, and after you know a couple of sort of slightly, you know, affected games over, you know, the, the, the LA and then or Moscow then LA, so tit for tat, things did return to normal, and the Olympic uh, the Olympic movement, if you like, has continued to thrive around the yeah. world, and they're adding new sports, and, and I mean, I'm personally looking for, I think the Paris Games are going to be, you know, possibly the best ever. I mean, the one thing I thought was absolutely amazing was um, a little aside was. At the end of the Japanese games, the Tokyo games, and the, I mean, good did, didn't the Japanese do do a good job? So yes. They had no support. They, they couldn't make any money out of them. They went ahead and did, did it anyway. They said yeah. they would, and and gave people some great respite during the sort of darkest days of 2020 pandemic. And at the very end of that, they had the live cross and the closing ceremony to Paris. What they did with drones and you know this oh, this fantastic. person sort of yeah. going through Paris and kicking off giving us a taste of what's going to happen in 2024, which is next year. Certainly really impressive. So I think everyone wants to see the Paris Games be a success. And I guess if, if to summarise where we've got to in this conversation, it would probably be that we've come out of the side of keep them separate, don't impose bans, and, and let sport be as separate from politics as possible. Well, yeah, I, look, I, I, think that, I think that's a bit... Naive, unfortunately. I, I would but love as, to see that. As much as possible. I would love to see it, but mm. I, I'm also a bit of a realist that it's mm. probably not going to happen. But mm. if you go back to probably the most recent, you know, huge sporting event, which was the World Cup. Mm. Now, for years, going back to the corruption of how Qatar actually got it in the first Seth place. Latter. And then there's the, you know, the, the wringing of hands and the anguish and the tears and... And 6,400 people are reported to have died while they mm. were constructing things. Mm. And there was a horrible treatment over there of, of the LGBTI plus community mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And, oh, we were going to protest and this and you know, we're not, and it should be boycotted and the whole lot. It was one of the most successful World Cups I've ever had. Mm. So for all the um, anguish you go through with your mixing of your politics and sport, it seems to me that sport wins out mm. anyway. Look, mm. the biggest complaint we got during that was, oh, well, I couldn't get full-strength beer, and when I did, it was expensive. You know, but that's pretty basic look at it, but there wasn't... Once it was underway, there wasn't mm. a lot of... Mm. Um, there wasn't a lot of protesting that seemed to do... seemed to cut through. You know, the game still went on, the people still played... You know everything around the outside of it. There was still the oppression and all that sort of thing in guitar. But really, once the game started, and the, the focus money was they often... spent. I mean, this is the other thing that sort of gets involved with is the money in sport. You know, I know this is a whole other kind of separate subject, really. But it it influ- it affects it because in the case of the World Cup in Qatar, they they spent more. I think like much much more than had ever been spent. Yes, it was in the order of you know it's like hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. And building this massive stadium, having all um, having them all air conditioned, having them able to be disassembled and re- relocated after the the event was over, 
I suppose you'd have to say that the, the, it's hard to not succeed when you've got bottomless pit of money to, yeah. to shuttle at everything, to make it great for sponsors, make it great for spectators. I'm not saying that's the only reason that it was a success. It was a success also because, because you know, the sport won out, because it is the world game and because it, it's a genuine competition where, you know, I mean, Argentina won. I've got a mate who's Argentinian. The, the, the reception... In the party in Buenos Aires when the when the team went back there yeah. was went for a month or something. So yeah, I think you're right. I think that sport, you know, sport has a way of if, if it's if it really is close contest between you know the world's best athletes, then that is just a great spectacle and, and yeah. it just overrides the politics. Well, it? it just seems that to, to me that every sport that we've had that people have you know had a political agenda. The sport wins out pretty much every time. Mm. F one is as popular now as it's, it's ever been, maybe even more so. The, the soccer, guitar, the cricket, um, you know, the TV watching and, and the, the women playing cricket and and all that sort of thing. The tennis, they had the greatest, fantastic crowds at the Australian Open um, and all other tennis. Sport seems to be the winner, regardless. Of how much politics seems to get involved, and I and guess exactly. And where do you draw the line? Do you sort of say, okay, anything that can attract huge TV audiences and big crowds and really capture the public imagination, is that all to be interfered with by politics? Because if it is, then that's that's a shame. I mean, the reason why sport is 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 singled out is because of the massive TV audience. You know, the World Cup is a huge thing where potentially. The people who've got a political agenda to push or a, a, a gripe or whatever, they know that they've got a huge potential audience, a way to get a message out about... Yeah, which you know, gets back to what we were saying before about our politicians always being photographed yeah. at a cricket or tel, you know, on telly at, at the cricket game or at the local... Whenever there's a political... Um, campaign and and they're they're on the hustings. Mm. You know you can guarantee I mean, they'll, they'll be watching local football or local cricket or you know or any of that. So sport, unfortunately for sport, is always going to be a vehicle for politics because because of that profile. because it's so and it and it's everything. It's mm. it's from you know my daughter was playing netball. We used to get politicians coming and mm. local pollies coming and sitting and watching and mm. that sort of thing. And it goes from 10 to the 85 year olds that are doing the 100 meter, you know the 100 meters in 20 seconds and absolutely fantastic you know there's a local not far from home he does that regularly does his, his running and this is photographed in the local paper a couple of weeks ago with a politician mm. so politics because of sports popularity is a vehicle politics it's always going to become part always of it. To now, it. whether that's politicians or whether that's people with a political agenda, it's just going to happen. Mm. And, and, and anybody that says we should keep it separate, like me, I'm a bit idealist, a bit naive. Mm. I'd love to see it separate, but I know it's just never going to be. No. I mean, would, you, would you go so far, so in the case of the Australian Open, where they, you weren't allowed to because they're worried about unrest and fights and you know, whatever going on, bad stuff happening at the, the actual event within the confines of the tennis centre yeah. where you know where all the stadiums are and where all the outside courts and the huge crowds and big screens and bars and restaurants and everything else that's in there. 
they've banned any kind of expression about anything that's, you know, including I'm a good agent, t-shirts, anything that, that has something that's inflammatory or potentially inflammatory on it. You know, that was why it was that the Russians who'd had that, pulled out that flag and sort of ambushed Djokovic's father, you know, that was frowned upon. What they did was not allowed to happen again. And I think they were, you know, they would have been told off or they would have made sure they didn't do it again. Yeah. But could you see that sort of thing happening at, at every single event for the Paris Games? Uh, perhaps it could, but I, I think the whole thing with the Paris Games is a bit like it with Qatar. All the rumblings happened beforehand. Mm. All the rumblings at Paris could happen beforehand too. You know, people, I think we're a bit slow at the moment. This is, it'll be interesting to see how this whole penning of the thing to, to ban Russia and Belarus mm. happens. But once you get to the actual event, there doesn't seem to be a lot of politics in, involved. The sport takes over. The sport, sport takes over. over. So but Remember, cast your mind back to the, you know, the timing of the annexation of Crimea, which happened in 2014. That was just after, literally almost the day after the end of the Sochi Winter Games in Russia. Right. Okay. It literally was. So, so <laughs> timing's they, everything. Yeah, timing's everything. And even similarly, the end of the Beijing Winter Games, the, the invasion a year ago of Ukraine, Beijing happened literally a day after or something. Right. And there was suggestion that the Russians and Chinese had, had, you know, China had said to Russia, please wait until the games are over. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there's so clearly... As you've pointed out, there there is interference by politics in sport at every opportunity, really. So unless you kind of actively try to limit it and take a stand against it, it will it will try to smother it. It, and will try to, it will try to get its tentacles into every aspect of it. And by taking a stand to try and prevent that, all you're doing is leaving yourself open to more protests. Anyway, well, you're going to have them anyway because people will, you know, if you, if people will ambush cameras, they'll ambush press conferences, they'll ambush events, yeah. you know, just as happened at the, at, 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 uh, the, the, the Australian tennis. Open. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you can sort of count on that happening anyway. So, you know, in a way we've kind of gone full circle that, you know, on the one hand we, we agree that, that athletes with high profiles like Lewis Hamilton and Cathy Freeman almost have a moral obligation to use their high profile to express important issues that they believe in. Yeah, I don't have a moral obligation. I'm not saying you have to, to, but, to, but I think it's understandable that you do. That, yeah, it's understandable that you do, and I I think that the the sporting body has no right to repress their um, the freedom of their freedom of expression. Mm. I don't think there's they have any any right to do that. It can perhaps be seen as a detriment to the to the sport, but as long as they're not degrading the sport directly, mm. which I don't know how they could possibly do, then I think they've got every right as individuals to, to make that protest. Mm. I don't know that they can force anybody else within that sport to follow their beliefs as well, because as I said, if you've got 24 of the world's best drivers, 12 might agree, 12 don't. I don't think the other 12 have to be ostracised because they don't necessarily agree with what you're doing or they might agree with what you're doing but they don't want to make a formal protest about it mm. you know they do things in their own quiet way mm. but I, I don't think 
Um, we can expect those people to be quiet just because they're sports people, because that's not fair. Mm. But it's kind of like if you if you if you're wanting to limit politics entering sport, then it makes it harder if you've got athletes or competitors in the sport using their position or using the, the profile, using the limelight to express political views. Yes, and you know, we, so we can go round yeah, and round yeah, in circles yeah. and so, send ourselves mad here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like the tiger chasing its tail yeah, around yeah, the tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just going to end up with a pile of butter. Uh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is difficult. It's so much more than that. But I, I still think that in the end, what we have learnt from all these years of this happening, sport seems to win out. Mm. In the end, mm. yeah. and you don't, you don't actually change what's happening. You don't. It's not like suddenly, oh, you know, Russia has a change of heart and says, oh, okay, yeah, look, we've we've listened to what the world said yeah. to us, and yeah. we've listened to the world's athletes. Yeah, if we way. can't, if we can't get involved in the Olympics, we'll stop the war. Well, that's that's not going to happen, mm. you know. And and sadly, for all the effort that Lewis Hamilton's done, it really hasn't changed what's happening in America. Mm. You know, we're all mm. around the world with Black Lives Matter. It, it sort of brought it to our attention and we go, most people have gone, yeah, I'm with you. Mm. But none of us have actually probably got off our backsides and done mm. anything more about it than acknowledge the fact that Lewis Hamilton and the drivers have done that or that Cathy Freeman was proud to, to carry the flag. Trump's room, when Trump was president, there were football players who were refusing to do things like... I don't know, they wouldn't stand up. Yeah, they were kneeling through yeah. the, the national yeah. the national anthem yeah. and, and getting ostracised mm. for that. And Trump actually called them on it. Yeah, yeah. He, he was furious. Know, yeah, absolutely furious. I think it was the NBA. They had a three-day closure because some people protested that they were going to be using the venues for basketball during the election to actually have, you know, like we have our polling booths um, to have people coming in there to vote. And there was protests about them opening up those venues as polling booths. And, you know, players refused to play and people refused to... And the whole thing was shut down for three days, you know, while they worked all, all that out. Now, that's politics really getting into sport, mm. you know. Mm. Um, Literally. Mm. All right, well, thanks very much, Brad McKenzie. A great chat and we'll do it again soon. I hope so. Alright, cheers. Jesus, good luck with editing all that. <laughs> It'll either be an hour or it'll be two.